Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's the most anticipated WNBA season in history. And you know what that means. Court is back in session. Welcome to Queens of the Court, an Odyssey original podcast. I'm your girl, Cheryl Swoop, And I'm Jordan Robinson. All WNBA season long, we'll be bringing you interviews with star athletes, analysis on your favorite teams, and lots of hot takes. Order, order in the court. Follow and listen to Queens of the Court on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Welcome in to Take Command. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And joining us right off the top of the pod, Logan, for our preview episode, we have Elliot Short Parks from the Go Birds podcast, our uh, sister, brother, uh, whatever podcast rival, uh, in rival the odyssey podcast. our rival podcast rival, yes exactly <laughs> in the odyssey network uh, that covers the eagles elliot what's up man thanks for coming on the pod thanks for having me on guys uh obviously a big week with uh you know carson versus jalen but excited to kind of get your guys perspective on the game and you know get someone else's view because here i just know everybody thinks they're going to dominate carson yeah it's funny Carson versus Jalen except for this time they're on opposite teams Um, exactly yeah exactly yeah it's been happening for years but now there's actually a score so let me let me ask you actually about that first and not necessarily Carson Jalen but the the everyone up here thinks we're going to dominate because down here as someone who does a daily talk show hasn't been a super fun week uh everyone's like the team's a disaster even though it's one and one they're through two weeks their offense looks fantastic with Carson Wentz the way yeah. the defense has played, it, it's been uh, it's been kind of a mayday situation down here. I'd imagine going two and zero in the in the fairly convincing fashion that they have. I know the Lions game was obviously a little tight by the end, yeah. uh, but but how well they've played. What is the feeling up in Philadelphia this week uh, going into this game? About the Eagles or about the I say game? about the Eagles and, and what's going to happen on the field. You know, outside of yeah. the personalities involved, just kind of to, right. to the to the results end of things. Yeah, I think people are really, really excited about this Eagles team. Uh, Coming into the year, I think there was obviously a lot of hype about the roster. And, I mean, Peter King called them a top-10 team even before they played a game, all those things. So I think expectations were high coming in. But I think there was also a bit of some reservation, rightfully so, I know at least on my end, about needing to see it before it became a reality that this could be a Super Bowl contender. But I think after Monday night, people are all in. Jalen has looked like a much, much improved quarterback the defense had probably its best game it's had under Jonathan Gannon. And people are excited. And I do think, look, it's only two games, but you can say that for every team in the NFL. Like, I think the Eagles look like legitimate contenders. They look like one of the best teams in the NFC. Now, for this game, like, the Eagles are better than Washington. We'll just start with that. Like, they're better on both sides of the ball. They have a better quarterback. They have a better coaching staff. So I don't actually think that it's a competition with the two, but I do think this game specifically is kind of a tough spot just because they are coming off of such a big win. Washington's coming off a loss. And I'll say it like Carson has been pretty good this year. And anytime you have good quarterback play, I think you have a chance. So the team itself, people are very excited about. I think this game, there's a bit of reservation just because of the spot. Logan, do you agree with the fact that Eagle, the Eagles have better everything? 
I mean, I picked him to win the division at the beginning of the year, you know, and I think the only thing that's kind of giving me pause, quite frankly, is Jalen Hurts, you know, and like there mm-hmm. is an element of like variance to his game. And like this is maybe high variance Jalen Hurts, you know, like they played a team in Minnesota that runs a lot of cover three, a lot of kind of open spaces. They didn't really challenge that offense very acutely, which I think is something that, you know, kind of leans into Jalen's favor. Obviously, against Detroit, they play a lot of man, they blitz a lot, and Jalen had an excellent day of rushing. So I do think there was in some ways kind of a favorable matchup for him. Is there any concern in the Philly community that this is just a ride high Jalen or is yeah. it is he going to come crashing back down to earth? Because like, you know, quarterbacks are up and down. It took uh, Josh John Allen a couple of years or Josh Allen a couple of years to kind of find his feet. And there was some up and down variance in his play for the first three years. Like, mm-hmm. is that a concern for the fan base? Well, look, I think your point about high variance is true, right? I mean, Carson's probably the poster child sure. for that, yeah. <laughs> you know, in terms of like ups and downs. Um, in terms of Jalen, like long term, yeah, I agree. It's, it's only two games. And last year, he was not a top 10 quarterback. He was not maybe even a top 15 quarterback. But I think what really stood out to me so far where there could be reason to believe that this is legit is the ball placement and his accuracy. I mean, he's gone up from 61% to almost 70%. He's throwing it slightly more this year than he did last year. And just you can just see the accuracy. Like, Last year, even if there were completions, guys were reaching up for it. Guys had to bend down for it. This year, it's hitting him right in the hands. He's always been very smart with the football. He's not ever been a turnover machine. But this year especially, I don't think he's put the ball in harm's way maybe even once. The only interception he has bounced off somebody's hands and and popped up and wasn't his fault. So, yeah, I do think for sure. I mean, the the main topic every day in Philly, this season, offseason, really since beginning last year, is, is Jalen the guy? And I don't think you have like a definitive 100% answer, answer on that. But to be honest, like in 2017, everyone thought Carson was the guy. So things change quickly. And if 2017 Carson didn't end up being the franchise guy for 10 years, then I'm never going to sit here and say, of course, Jalen's the guy. But through two games, he has looked amazing and incredibly improved. And I think Eagles fans should be very encouraged by what they've seen. Mm. What's, what's the conversation around Carson? And how has it changed? Because Jalen maybe is a... Uh mending or tending to some of the wounds that Carson may have left and, and the fact that he was the number two pick looked to be the guy right. etc. I mean so I've been covering the team for almost 10 years I've lived in Philly my whole life I've never seen an athlete with a roller coaster like Carson I mean from 2017 there was talks about him legitimately being a top five Eagles player of all time and they weren't crazy and then he breaks his back he tears his ACL and people still defended him through 2018 2019 it started to turn a little bit in 2019 but 2020 obviously it all fell apart and I think now like Carson's an enemy in Philly to fans people don't like that he forced his way out people don't view him as a guy that handled the situation here well he it's viewed as he kind of quit on the team he's viewed as not being a good teammate and I I don't think all that is true for what it's worth like I I do think when I look back at Carson's time in Philly it it's injuries like that's the story uh he was a phenomenal quarterback in 2017 he was uh, accurate playmaker MVP it's just really hard for any human being to tear their ACL, break their back and get a concussion and still be a really good quarterback. Like that's just a lot to overcome. So I think Carson forcing his way out was was not the right move by him. My guess is he probably regrets that um, because Eagles are one of the best run organizations in the league. And we've seen what's happened since then. So I think it was a mistake for him to do it. I think fans are probably upset with the way he left. But I don't think you'd find any fan that wishes he was still the quarterback. I think they feel they are way better off with Jalen than they are with Carson. And you mentioned that there was some, uh, you know, friction near the end of Carson's tenure there. Like, how has Jalen been in the locker room from a leadership standpoint? Like, is it his team or is he still kind of 
you right. know, kind of finding his way. So obviously in 2020 and 2021, we were not allowed in the locker room. So mm -hmm. I can't speak to like anecdotes that I have from seeing him, but from this year, the few times I've been in there and just kind of talking to players uh, about Jalen, like he's a phenomenal leader. I mean, he, I mean, look, going to Alabama, you saw he was a leader there. He went to Oklahoma. Like this is a guy that's always been on the big stage and not, you know, it's impossible not to compare and contrast, but, but Carson came from North Dakota state, a small school into one of the biggest media markets. And I think that mm. probably wasn't ready for it, especially everything that happened to him. Jalen knows how to handle the big stage. He's been in markets or at least, you know, Alabama is basically a pro program in, in college, <laughs> you know, in Oklahoma too. Like, so I think Jalen has embraced the spotlight and players love him. Like the offensive players love him. Defensive players love him. AJ Brown is like his best friend. Like mm. I just think the leadership the Eagles are getting and not just from Carson. Like I think Nick Sirianni has been a really good leader. They have great leaderships over all, all over the roster, honestly. But Jalen, I think is, is exactly what you want in a personality standpoint from, from franchise quarterback defensively how do you think this defense can stack up against a washington offense that was real good week one yeah. uh, had a terrible first half but then came back and scored 27 in the second half last week how, how do you view that matchup i mean you know you talked about it earlier with high variance right like carson's a tough guy to game plan for because on one hand i think the defense matches up great like the pass rush has not been superb or really even that good through first two weeks at all for the eagles <laughs> But they do have talent on the defensive line. So it's not crazy to think they could make life tough for Carson. He could throw the ball up. They have probably the best secondary in the league, at least from a cornerback perspective, with Slay, uh, Bradbury, and Maddox. Um, you know, like, obviously, there's probably better number ones. But I think when you look at one through three, there's not many teams that line up a better three. So if you're going to pressure Carson and you're going to have him throw it up, like, that's a recipe for turnovers, uh, as good as the Washington receivers are. But the thing is, like, Carson can make any throw there is. Like, you know, and Carson could come out, and if he's making those throws and the Eagles aren't getting pressure on him and he has time in the pocket, like, there's certain quarterbacks where if you don't pressure them, it doesn't matter because they're just not good. No, like, Carson's good enough that if he has time in the pocket, the Eagles' secondary could be great, but you can't cover, cover guys for five, six seconds. So ultimately, I think this is going to come down to if the Washington offensive line can keep Carson clean and what version of Carson – shows up on Sunday. I mean, you seem to obviously pressuring the quarterbacks a huge deal for this Philadelphia defense, but they haven't shown it. Do you expect mm -hmm. them to maybe kind of adopt a more comprehensive pressure package than what they've shown over the first two games? Or is it just kind of like go in with the front four and let's see what happens? Yeah. It's interesting because I like the eye test tells me the pressure has not been good. And I definitely don't think it has been, but then you look at some websites like pro football focus and like some of the stats and they're actually match up like, pretty high compared to the league. So on one hand, I, I agree with you. Like whether they can get pressure on Carson is probably the main question on the defensive side of the ball. And they're doing a lot of different things now. Like, so they were pretty much a four, three defense, definitely under Jim Schwartz, but um, now they're, they're mixing up their fronts. Hassan Reddick, their big free agent signing has not really had a great start to the year. He has two hurries in the first two games and it's something like 60 pass rush snaps. So he's not done a good job getting after the quarterback, Jordan Davis, um, Good draft pick, high upside, but he's a run-stopping nose tackle right now, so he's not really a, a pass rusher. So, yeah, I mean, I think the pass rush for the Eagles right now is the biggest question on the roster. And Washington's offensive line, you know, probably like okay. I, I don't think it has the up end, the elite type talent that Detroit's does, just in terms of Frank Ragnow mm -hmm. and uh, the tackles they have. 
but I do think they have talent there. So yeah, I mean, going into the game for me, the, the pass rush is the biggest question. Mm. Yeah, definitely. All right. Uh, what's your prediction, Elliot? I, I can guess which way this is going, but what you <laughs> No, I mean, look, in, in all seriousness, like, I think this is a tough spot for, for the Eagles. Um, I think they're they're coming off a big win. Uh, I think that, you know, there's just something about those games in Washington. Whenever I'm there, it just feels like ugly and close. And maybe it's just the stadium that's just, you know, so bad that it just feels like it just feels like a gross situation every time. But um I think this could end up being close. I think the line is six and a half. Uh, if I had to bet it, I would probably take Washington plus six and a half just because I think this will end up being close. But ultimately, I covered Carson for five five years here. I've never seen him win like a big game. And when the pressure's on, Carson does not show up. So I view this as a big game for Carson. And I think Jalen's a better big game quarterback. So I think it'll be close. But ultimately, like I'll pick the Eagles maybe 23 to 20. In 2017, he must have won some big games for you. It's funny. When you look back, he kind of did. But when you look at the season. He kind of did. That's like the worst hedge of all time. He did. No, no, no. Didn't. <laughs> we, we, no. I'm saying we can go through it. Like, if you look, he lost at Seattle against the Rams. He did get hurt. He played really well in that game, but he wasn't there to end it. Early on in the year, he beat Carolina. That was the a big game. game. When he broke his back? You're saying he didn't play? You're, you're not going to well, give him a good, 17 good was, He was out. 17 was the year that he tore his ACL against the Well, set, so against in 17, against the Rams, he played really well. He tore his ACL. The Rams retook the lead in that game. And then Foles. I, I'm not saying, look, he played well in that game. <laughs> you're I'm trying to saying, like cut this man down for not no, playing no, no, no. in the second half I'm of the game. Saying, <laughs> if the best example of his big game win is the one where he tore his ACL, then you know you have a problem. Like sure. there's, you know, there's not a lot of signature wins on, on Carson's resume. Sure. Well, yeah. let's see if we can get one on Sunday against okay. his old squad. Uh, Elliot Shore Parks uh, has the Go Birds podcast up in Philly. If you want their perspective, they do a phenomenal job, uh, even though we are trying to, to pit everybody against you, Elliot, so that more yes. people listen to us. Uh, Go Birds, check it out on the Odyssey app and everywhere you get your podcasts. Uh, thanks for the time, man. Yep, thanks, no man. problem. Excited to talk to you. Hey everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Continuing on, take command. Thanks again to Elliot Shore Parks from Go Birds for joining us. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. I used to cover the Washington football team. Uh, he used to play for the Washington football team. And now now we just talk into microphones and, and break stuff down. Uh, so let's let's get deep. Uh, hopefully some Go Birds yeah. folks are listening. Let's let's get, let's show off our analytical skills, Logan. <laughs> uh, but I do think actually the right place to start is where we ended with Elliot, which is kind of the, the emotional, like human side of this for Carson sure. Wentz and the pressure of this game. If he feels it, 
I don't actually get the sense that he does uh, from anything. I mean, he's obviously got the year removed in Indianapolis. I get the sense that this is not going to be maybe even as emotional it will be when he plays them the second time because it'll be in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. But if you're Scott Turner and you're trying to make sure that he gets into a rhythm early and is not thinking about anything and, and is able to keep a level head, what's the kind of stuff based off of what Philly does defensively and what Carson is is great at that you would be trying to, to organize early and, and scheme up early in this game? <clears throat> Right. So I think a lot of fans that I've talked to or messaged me on Instagram and stuff, they've been like, oh, they pressure a lot. We got to be really worried about their pressure packages. They're like 57% or something crazy like that. And uh, I think they think back to the Detroit game and say, oh, no, like we're going to get eaten up again. Like what's Scott Turner's plan? That 57% is not the same 57% as Detroit, for example. And so what, what I mean by that is they run a lot of Cinco package. They got Jordan Davis into play nose on first and second down. And usually in those fronts, you're bringing some type of sod, like some type of dog, right? So you're bringing like the Sam linebacker who's essentially a defensive end. So like to me, those pressure packages are vastly different than anything you're going to see that Detroit did, right? It's like mm -hmm. these are the five rushers. Everybody calm down. I remember as a player, like that was always very straightforward. It almost didn't even feel like they were blitzing, right? Because you just know this guy's coming, this guy's coming. Let's block you know the five. You have to win one on one, which is challenging, sure. but it's a lot easier to win when you know who the five are. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think like that idea that they're going to just be heating them up all the time and it's going to be this crazy thing. That's why I try to ask our guest, you know, if he if he thought they were going to pressure more this week, if there was any indication of that, because that would be a sound game plan approach because Detroit ate us up with that. I will say they don't major in that. They do have zero in their arsenal. So like some of that stuff that Detroit did, which is like bring the house, play man across the back. They do that, but only in like very, very specific situations. So I think, again, it's going to be a much different game plan. So I think it'll be much more akin to what you saw from this team against Jacksonville. Like that defensive structure will feel very similar. Like I would kind of approach it in the same way. I would get in 12 personnel. They're pretty good about matching uh, in terms of like base defense to 12. I'd run play action pass out of that, right? I'd find ways to get Curtis Samuel touches because they do play. Uh, it's way less aggressive than what Detroit did. Way less aggressive. There's much more space in the defense. The throws are easier. You know, they do have Darius Slay. They do have James Bradbury, who are both good players, but they're not like manned up all the time. There are situations where there are in man, but think of it more zone, more off. Much like kind of like our defense. Like you know how fans are always freaking out about all the space in our defense, how the guys play off. They do that here. Now, they run a couple variations that make it tough. So they run cover three, which is a lot of space, cover four, which is more of a match. And then they run like a cover four half, which is like that true like Madden cover four where you're dropping to the spots on the field. So again, like right. that kind of stuff is is tough to, to see the variations, but it's not going to like burst the pipes the way Detroit did. So I would expect it to look a lot like what it did against Jacksonville. I think much more of your game plan is going to be open early on. I think all that RPO stuff will be better. Uh, so I just think the matchup defensively suits suits Washington a little bit better than the, the Detroit game plan. Yeah, I, I mean, obviously Philly has now seen the Detroit game plan. You always sure. get nervous about – I mean, that's, I feel like that's something that happened under Jay all the time. It was so funny because I would, like, talk to Chris Thompson every week, and CT would be like, yeah, we didn't think they did that thing, and then – then they did it to us. Mm. And like teams would just say, like, this is the thing that worked the week before, or worked in week two, so we're going to do it now in week six. And it just happened to them all the time. Um, well, so I will who, say, who knows, who knows what Philly does. But, you know, if that is the case, then like that's obviously exciting because I, th I think that also not only opens up for Gibson, Samuel, but like some of the in breaking stuff for Terry could have him have his first big game of the season. He's actually had a field day against the Eagles historically in his career, including his first ever game. 
Yeah, and like to your point, like that's always something you worry about is like teams see something, they bring something, they kind of it's like a pressure check. You know what I mean? It's like I, I guarantee you, Philly, we're gonna talk about the uh their offense in a little bit. I guarantee you they run some stuff out of bunch that they haven't run yet because we had a hard time matching versus bunch last week. I, I guarantee you that they're like, Oh, let's do the same thing, see if they got it fixed. Right. And I but yeah. the thing about the defense and the pressure stuff is like they had the lowest pressure rate in the NFL in 2021. You know what I mean? Like this is not something that they like want to major in. Now they've done it more this year already, but it's it's a very it's fractionally more, right? So I think understanding that and who this defensive coordinator is and who he wants to be is an important conception in terms of like th- this is this game's going to feel drastically different. Will they run a zero? I I would probably give it a shot if I'm there, if I'm them, just to see what's going on, you know? And they do pressure on third down. I think they're like 54% and like third and four to four to six, something like that. So that's a high pressure rate in that area. But all the other third down zones, you know, uh, one to three and then six to 11, basically, it's like 20%. So it's not like they haven't shown a lot of it. And I think that's an important thing for fans to understand. So it'll just be, I think it'll just be much easier the game plan for them because they're simpler and that's who they want to be. And that's okay. Right. But they obviously held Minnesota to seven points. Uh, They had a bunch of turnovers, which helped some of those are just Kirk, not seeing the field. Uh, There was the one I thought Troy Aikman did a really good job on the broadcast talking about how Justin Jefferson let Darius Slay come underneath him. Mm. uh, And Kirk throws a ball on time that, Probably should have been incomplete because uh, I, I think Slay was on it and it would have been a collision. But you know who knows? Maybe Jefferson holds on and it's a touchdown. Um, but ultimately, he, un- he you know Jefferson allows Slay to cross his face and it, it's a pick going the other way. Uh, so holding them to seven is not that they played well the whole field the entire time and were dominant. They got key turnovers and, and but that's the thing is when you play this kind of spaced out defense and play zone the way it's supposed to be played and keep eyes on the quarterback and understand route concepts, you can undercut throws. You can do what Avante Maddox did and drop off underneath the throw and get a pick for the, the one that was Cousins second. Like you can do those kinds of things. You also clamp down and you know a guy like Justin Jefferson who they're forcing the ball to all over the place, you clamp down on him because you know that's the goal. And, and even if he gets catches, they're not big plays. And so it also, the last thing that I'll say too, is it requires a level of efficiency and a level of accuracy from the offense and the quarterback that does put a lot of pressure on Carson uh, to, to execute at a high level because the That's windows are small. And if you, especially if you want to get yak, if you want, if you want your guys to be able to run, the timing has to be perfect because they're going to be on you as soon as you catch it. Uh, if it's a half beat late and if it's a full beat late, that's a pick or an incompletion. Yeah, I think that I think that you did a good job encapsulating like who they want to be defensively. They basically want to go like this is what I'm familiar with, so I'm gonna make this analogy. They basically want to be like that old Seattle cover three, where they're like, right. you cannot go on a 15 play drive. Like we bet you you can't. And there's an element of that to the commander's defense, and they obviously struggle with that a little bit, you know. But Philly's a little bit more polished, right? I think they have um, you know, like they have better corners who understand zones a little bit better and are not afraid to camp gamble and make some plays. And so um, I think that safety, they're a little bit weak, but I think it makes up for it on the edges with the corners there. So I think that, that that's um, that's a great point by you. And I think, that, again, that's who this is going to be. So I think they're going to have a really easy time moving the football. Easy, easy is a relative term here, obviously. Um, but I think finishing drives is going to be a huge deal for them. Because like we saw against Detroit, like they're moving the football and Carson kind of throws – like not a bad ball, but a ball that gets picked off to Logan Thomas, right? So right. can can you do that consistently and not make that mistake and then make sure you're on the board? Because 
I hate to break it to you, this this offense insulates this defense tremendously, right? Because they're always going to be playing with the lead. They, they've been able to put the, their freaking foot to the gas pedal, and offenses have to get out of who they want to be a little bit, right? Detroit did a nice job staying true to themselves, but Minnesota, you could tell they got a little off-centered, and then they start throwing picks. They start pressing when they shouldn't press. And again, that's one of the advantages of having offense that's really good. And it's, it's also, like, if you look at it from the commander's perspective, like, that could bode well for us, too, if we get out to a, a nice lead and maybe it un, unsettles Philadelphia's um, offense-defense relationship that they've had very uh, succinctly over the first two weeks. Yeah, definitely. The other thing uh, in terms of game plan and making sure that you distribute the ball properly is getting touches to your running backs. Uh, Dalvin Cook only had six carries. And I know they were playing from behind, but six feels crazy low. Uh, and I mean, he wasn't effective at all. I get it why Kevin would just be like, I'm abandoning this. We're averaging 2.8 yards a carry um, with Dalvin Cook, and that, that's what he averaged. Um, but they had six and then eight total from the running backs. Kirk had two scrambles. They had a reverse to Jalen Rager uh, that, that went well for them. But how important is, is the running game and getting, whether it's McKissick, uh, obviously Gibson, uh, or even Jonathan Williams going to, to keep the defense honest and off balance a little bit, especially in the first half? I don't think it's important to run the football necessarily. Like I know that's maybe like blasphemy if you're Chris Russell, Ooh. but I, 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 do think that, I do think that you need to find ways to limit the amount of tough decisions a quarterback needs to make in the course of a game. Right. I think and running the football is easy. Like I hand the ball off and like I, I'm that's a free play for the quarterback. Right. Or like I'm hitting a bubble screen or I'm hitting a little check down. I'm hitting this and that it gets challenging when you're asking a quarterback to drop back and read a defense 50 times in a game. There's very few guys that I've seen that can do that consistently. Peyton Manning, Drew Brees, Tom Brady. Aaron, that's the kind of pantheon of player you're talking about, right? Because eventually someone's going to make a mistake, right? It just it's it's too difficult, right? So especially with a guy like Carson, you need again take a little bit off of him, and that again that that could be in running and running the football, or it could be just game planning touches for Curtis. Like think back to Week One, I think that's like a perfect iteration of a game plan that I'd like to see. Quick, like they didn't run the football a ton, right? But the guy touches out quickly to guys. They kind of did some like gimmicky stuff, just made the decision process easier for Carson. So, you know, you say, you know, Kevin got away from running the football in the Minnesota game, and he did, obviously, but I think that's a mistake because then you put all of it on Kirk and say, go win us the game. And I think Kirk is a good player, but that is a big lift against a good team in Philadelphia to do that, right? So I think that was a mistake and a little bit short-sighted. And again, it could have been something, a variation of that, like, how do we get one of the best running backs in the league touches? Just not because he's a good running back, right. but because he's a good space player, right? Well, and that's that's what I was going to say, too, is like part of the reason that's such a mistake is like he's Dalvin Cook. He's right. really effective. And so how do you get him the ball more? And he did have a couple of catches uh, throughout the game, but ultimately they didn't do a great job of getting one of their best players the ball. Although, you know, they did do a good job of getting Jefferson his looks. Thielen didn't have a lot early, but had a lot late. Uh, Interestingly enough, week one, Detroit, who puts up 35, including 14 in the fourth quarter on this Philly team, gets DeAndre Swift 15 carries. He goes for a buck 44. Jamal Williams gets 11. That's obviously who they are in terms of running the ball. Um, And they also had Swift uh, get three more catches on three targets. So, 18 looks for DeAndre Swift and you know for for Washington I think you know you substitute Gibson in for Swift and I don't know that he needs to get 18 but you got to find a way to get him like 15 
And if 10 of those are carries and five of those are catches, great. Honestly, if it's like more split seven and seven or whatever, I think like that that's for him great. Is probably better. Yeah, that's great. But, I, you know, whether it's McKissick, whether it's Gibson, whether it's Samuel, like those guys all need to get their touches and they all should be, except for some of Samuels, which are going to come in the natural route progression because he's a receiver. They all, a lot of those at least should be those easy decision. Don't think about it. Screen, you know, quick game, all that kind of stuff where it's it's pretty easy lifting mentally for Carson. And also, I think one of the things about the Minnesota game that sticks out to you is I don't know how many plays they ran, but it didn't feel like a lot, you know, and I think the running game and getting touches to the backs is directly correlated to how many plays you get in the game. We've talked about that before. Like in order to get everybody touches, you need to make sure you're converting on third down and on the field for like roughly 80 snaps, right? To make sure that Terry gets touches, that Curtis gets touches, Gibson, all, we, you know, all these playmakers get their touches. You got to yeah, run a lot the, of plays. The Vikings ran fifty nine plays against, which Philly. is not a lot of plays for context, right? Right. So I think that is um, that that again is maybe a, a bad sign that they were not holding on to the football, they weren't possessing the football, and a lot of turnovers. Credit to Philadelphia because they do possess the football in a nice way. Like I don't think they're qu- we're going to talk about this in a minute, but they're not quite the same running team they they were they've been in the past, right? I think their rushing statistics are slightly inflated based on that week one performance by Hertz, but they did a really nice job just being super efficient. Holy cow, man. It's like you're watching Madden. You're like watching a college offense. Like they've got a ton of speed on the outside. You have a ton of playmakers. It's really scary. And so that's how they get so much play volume in is because they've just been mad efficient. You look at Minnesota, not very efficient. So like you're not going to get many opportunities to touch the football because Philly is just – they've been that good over the first two weeks of the season. Yeah, definitely. Um, last thing on the Philadelphia defense and Washington trying to match up with them. What's the best path to manufacture big plays? Like, that's Ron's hobby horse this season. Generate big plays, don't give yeah. them up. Which, you know, again, based off our favorite stat, yeah, we got it in the pod. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 55% of, of drives with over a 15-plus yard play. You think I'd have it better now? Uh, every <laughs> freaking week, fifteen play, fifteen plus yard play or more, fifty-five uh, percent of the time you score. Without one, it's only five percent. So, right. how do you how do you generate big plays if you are Scott? Well, I think this offense versus this type of coverage philosophy has shown a history of being able to, I don't know, like relatively easily generate big plays. Like even with guys who are not great quarterback, like great quarterbacks, and I think now with Carson and his big arm, like it's going to be easier to do that. That's one of the reasons you bring Carson in, right? Because this offense fits that kind of larger arm, that more more talented quarterback from an arm talent standpoint uh, better. And then we also have these playmakers that are making plays, right? And can make big plays. So I think um, it, I think if, if Philly comes out and does what they've shown for the first two weeks of the season, which has been relatively, and this is not an indictment, but relatively vanilla, I think that mm-hmm. simplifies for Carson. I think then you... You, it's easier to kind of say, oh, versus these looks, we're going to run these plays. And I, like I said before, I've said this on the podcast before, I think Scott Turner does an excellent job scheming up plays versus cover three and cover six and getting guys in one-on-one situations with, you know, safeties and guys who are not ideal coverage players, right? And getting them, again, bad leverage. And they're not like these crazy nuanced concepts. When you have the horses on the outside, they just kind of develop, you know? And so I think if, if, the, if the O-line can protect Carson – you limit the amount of tough decisions he's got to make down in and down out, which is running the football, screens, little dinks and dunks, RPOs, that kind of stuff. I think those will come. And I think that's one of the beauties of this offense this year. Is it, you just got to insulate Carson a little bit from himself. And I think you're in a good spot.
Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Greg Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. All right, now now for the fun part. Man. Washington's defense. It's all we've been talking about all week. Uh, Philly's offense is perhaps the talk of the NFL with how well Jalen Hurts is playing. Yet, we were talking offline uh, over the, some point this week. And uh, you were like, actually, I'm not terrified. That was yeah. that was a couple of days ago. You've watched more film. You've done more studying. Do you still feel like this matchup, because of the way the two <laughs> schemes mesh, yeah. actually might be better uh, for Washington than Detroit was? So I think there's just like this huge concern that Philly's just going to run all over them, and I think that concern is slightly inflated. And I just think like Philly is a different team this year than they were last year to a certain extent. Like last year, like they lived and died by the run. Jalen got a ton of touches. The running back got a ton of touches. And they do do that, right? But using Jalen as a design runner is kind of – they've taken a step back from that because he's been such efficient – so so efficient as a passer, right? So you're not getting like these crazy – like like Detroit. Detroit-level rushing schemes, right? You're not getting this high variance of counters and powers and stretches and whams and traps. You're getting outside zone. You get some bounce plays. Occasionally you get a trap but they really want to major in like RPO outside zone type stuff. And what you get in that when they run it from the gun, which is what they've been doing is you get a lot of one-on-one matchups with Payne Allen on the guards, right? They pull Kelsey to the front side of the run. And then the, you know, like it just, it, it fits better from like a, they're not going to get as many double teams. The O line is big. They're physical. They're very good, but I don't think this scheme speaks to what they do exceptionally well. And that's fine because Jalen Hurts has been absolutely bawling his face off. Right. <laughs> so you can be a little bit less efficient as a runner, as a running team, because Jalen Hurts, his efficiency as a passer has gone is exponentially greater than it was last year. Like the thing that so like that doesn't scare me. The thing that is absolutely terrifying to me is when this offense gets in that spread formation, they are running RPOs and there's just so, it, the field feels gigantic. Yes. It feels huge because they've got A.J. Brown. They've got Smith. They've got uh, the kid from number 14 who's very fast and explosive. They've got all of these kind of high explosive athletes and Jalen Hurts has been facilitating the football. And then on top of that, he can run the football. Dallas Goddard's out there, right? Sanders is fast out of the backfield. It's just they can get to these concepts and spread the field so quickly because their team speed's so great and their offensive line is excellent in pass protection. So yeah, that that is what I'm just like, holy cow. Like how do you match up with this? And especially because – our team, our defense is not good about condensing throwing lanes, especially in the back end. Like when you watch when you watch a Washington game on defense, it the field feels big against Detroit, and Detroit is like packing the formation in, so it shouldn't feel that way. Philly goes the other way, spread it out. It's going to feel even bigger. There's going to be a ton of space, and I just don't know where you get those matchups. Quite frankly, at this at this point of the week, obviously, I still got to watch more film, and maybe I'll come up with an idea. But as of right now, it's going to be tough. Yeah, let's hope Jack uh, Jack and his staff has uh, got some ideas already. Uh, Quez Watkins, by the way. Uh, Good, thank you. Know, yes, yes. Uh, young young guy who's ridiculous uh, in terms of his twitchiness and everything. He's their punt and kick returner as well as their slot guy. Um, yeah, that's uh, that's that's concerning. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, least. I mean, Jalen has. It, it is pretty wild to watch the the two Philly games this year, and when you watch college football, it just feels like there's guys running open all over the place. And you're like, how could you ever get this in the NFL? And Jalen gets it. Uh, the looks yeah. that he faces, and, and part of it is just you have to keep an eye on him as a runner. He is yeah. not going to sit back there forever. If he doesn't feel like he's got it, he's going to take off and run. 
And he's such a tough runner too. And and that's the thing is like, I actually don't think Minnesota played that bad defensively last week. Th- those first couple of drives, like Jalen makes stuff happen. Um, now, are they awesome? No, I'm not telling you they played well, but they did shut him out in the second half. Uh, it was 24 mm-hmm. seven and halftime. And that was the final. And part of it was they just said, we're going to sit back. We're going to play coverage. And we're going to make Jalen beat us as a passer. And I still think even though he's better, like that's the better play because at least then there's structure and you kind of have a fighting chance versus now we're chasing him all over the place. And like you said, those guys get out in a little bit of space, the AJ Browns, the Quez Watkins, Devonte Smith. And now you're picking up those huge chunks. Mm-hmm. And so I think the play is to play your zones. I mean, that's the other thing too, right? There's all this talk of, should they play more zone? Should they play more man? Which is kind of like, should they play to Kendall Fuller's strengths or should they play to right. William Jackson, the third strengths? You can't really play a ton of man against a quarterback like Jalen Hurts because if one, I don't think the man matchups are in your favor necessarily. Um, right. AJ Brown like is better than your corners, um, and two, although I will you know like down in down out, it's not like a, a horrendous mismatch. But thing two is when you got your eyes on a man, you don't keep eyes on the quarterback, and yeah. if Jalen gets out on the edge. Uh, you're going to see a lot of Montez Sweat like running after Jalen Hurts and not being able to catch him, uh, right. which is Jalen's one of the few guys that Montez can't catch. And so it, it's you're going to have to play zone. And at that point, you get into some of the other challenges this defense has had in communication and kind of understanding leverage. And I don't, I don't know that there's a great solution um, to the problems that Philly presents. Although I will say, if they, if they're not. Um, killing you on the ground that does make things a little bit easier and i don't want to say that they're bad at running the football just it's simpler than what they've seen also i will say that from a pass game standpoint not overly complicated they haven't had to be because they've just been able to win right and the rpo backfield action stuff has been able to generate enough space for them so it's not like they're like this this uh, detroit offense or a kyle offense where you're motioning and you're moving and you're trying to find your best matchups and trying to put the defense in conflict because you are a little bit lesser at your offensive playmakers and you need to kind of find those inches. Like I kind of feel like they come out and be like, we're better than you. So like stop us. And no one's been able to stop him yet. Interesting point there. Cause I was actually thinking about ways to kind of be more disruptive to Jalen. And one of the things that came up to me is what is your pressure package this week? Right. Cause if you look at Minnesota, I think they made a mistake. I think they played too conservatively in terms of zone coverage. And I think that's maybe, you know, if I'm talking to the defensive coordinator in Minnesota, he'd be like, well, they only had 27 points. So, like, what do you want us to do? And we, and so maybe that is, maybe you are right. That's the approach. But I, I do think that a little bit more aggressiveness might be in order just to kind of get him off the spot a little bit, keep him unsettled. Cause when he's just back there, he just looks like he's in total command. And Minnesota, yeah. they have good pass rushers, right? They were able to create a little bit of pressure with them. But, you know, like I think that's remember we've we've talked about this before with Jack too. Like, you think your D line is going to be able to generate all this pressure? Historically, they haven't done that, so don't fall away from that too drastically. Like, still make sure we're bringing pressure and and see if you can just get his eyes down off of the off the pass concept a little bit. And I think that that might be my approach. That this what is this today Thursday? Just to yeah. see if we can get him a little unsettled, you know. So. uh I actually, let me see if I can find this real quick. Um, uh, Phil tweeted at me and Sheehan actually, uh, uh, tagged an a ESPN stat for us that has pass rush win rate and double team rate on a chart. 
And it's hilarious because Aaron Donald is literally on an island on his own. Uh, he's got like one of the, you know, he's double team rate is like 68%. Pass Damn. rush win rate is like at literally his name is at the top line of the chart up around 35%. Um, but if you kind of look in that quadrant, who else is with him? John Allen gets double teamed, uh, let's see, about 61, 62% of the yeah, time. He gets a lot. And, and still has a you know 15 16% pass uh rush win rate and Deron Payne is is right on 60% and he is uh even higher than Allen in terms of pass rush win rate uh as the 1 2 3 fourth highest in the entire league uh, amongst interior linemen so you can rely on those guys to win some uh the question is how much and and also then you get into the problem that if you rush hurts up the middle he will run out of the pocket and right. so sweat and and uh James Smith Williams if especially if Casey is still out or uh, FA Obata whoever else is going to be out there on the edge like it is so imperative that those guys keep him in the pocket and really rush to contain in a lot of ways this week to try to keep him in there and, and collapse the pocket in. He's not the biggest guy throwing out of that is going to be a little more difficult uh, for him than it would be a guy who's six, five, but also, you know, obviously the rushing lane and, and, and he is a good thrower on the move too. I think that's one of the other things you talk about the situations in which he feels in command. He throws on the run so easily and so accurately, and he does a good job of keeping his eyes down the field in a lot of situations. So that, you know, if you flush him out, and all of a sudden you're you're off schedule. You you break coverage. That's that's a big uh, danger point for big plays for Philadelphia as well. Maybe not necessarily like touchdowns, but that that's an area where against Minnesota, there's a couple times where they got 12, 15, 20 yards where Hertz just rolls out and fires a bullet to a receiver who's found a soft spot as coverage breaks down. Yeah, I mean he's he's been great. I think that's another you touched on another thing that makes the Philadelphia Eagles so challenging is a their offensive line's awesome. They're very consistent. They're very physically athletic and talented. But also, you you have to be a more conservative pass rusher against him because of his ability to move and throw on the run. So, again, like that's where the dilemma really comes in. And this team historically has not performed very well against mobile quarterbacks. And he's – I don't know if he's like, you know, probably top five mobile quarterback in the NFL right now in terms of his ability to throw – off schedule out of the pocket type stuff so this 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 offense defensive relationship is very very challenging and uh that's one of the reasons why i think this team the only shot they i don't say the only shot but one of the only ways they can win this game is if their offense comes out and is i don't want to say punch for punch but something like that right something very competitive in terms of matching scores keeping the offense off the field because the longer your offense, the commander's offense can stay on the field, it gets the Philly offense out of rhythm. Like as a, as a former player, one of the things that I remember is when you go through a long doldrum of being off the field, those first drives back in, it's kind of really hard to kind of get back in, in your swing, in your sink, right? That's for the quarterback, that's receivers. It's just tough, right? So if you can do that again, offensively, long drives, sustained drives, big plays, all those things, the complexion of this game will change pretty dramatically because I think Philly has not had to deal with that yet. So, um, yeah, so that's kind of my thought. You know, defensively, I think they're they're in for a long day kind of regardless. It's just about whether the Washington offense can match that, I think. Yeah, and you see that in the week one win over Jacksonville, how Jacksonville had to press a little bit uh, and, you know, pl what playing ahead did for Washington as a team, that complimentary football. Um 
anything else, any other player? Uh, I guess let me ask you this too. Last thing. Um, how nervous do, do Miles Sanders and Dallas Goddard make you? Because the tight end position has been an interesting one uh, for them to defend historically under Jack. Uh, sure. Last week uh, was kind of a mixed bag. It feels like Goff just missed Hawkinson some, um, sure. although they did do a good job at points. But we've obviously seen through two weeks also how running backs have challenged this team. Uh, Etienne had the couple of misses uh, for Jacksonville. Swift had one wheel route that Jamin covered really well last week, but you saw Detroit go back to it after seeing the failed uh the, the miss by Lawrence in week one. Uh, but Sanders is a guy who's pretty dynamic out of the backfield. So, so how do you account for those two guys? Yeah, I think it's again, like it's tough because there's so much space and because they have so many weapons. It's very, it offensively, it feels very similar to what Washington, the, some of the problems Washington presents. Yeah. Like you have three very good playmakers on the outside. Then you have Logan Thomas, then you have Gibson and McKissick and all of these kind of other pieces that you have to account for. And that's good offensive you know, recruiting philosophy or, or, you know, procurement philosophy because you get these guys in and like, that's how you have good offenses in uh, 2022. You know what I'm saying? Like you need playmakers and they've done that. And so again, like going back to Philly, those guys are tough because they're good space players. I will say they don't, they don't game plan touches in the past game for Sanders quite mm. like, you know, Washington does or, or did for Gibson week one. Right. So I think that's, that's something that makes me feel a little bit better. Goddard's, a menace in the RPO stuff because he gets touches and he's just wide open in space and there's nobody there because the guy who's got him in man-to-man coverage is on the quarterback. And again, those are the types of things that make this offense tough, right? So Goddard is a good football player, but he becomes an exceptional football player when there's nobody around him. And so I think that's something else that um, makes me a little bit worried. He's going to be a big part of that. And then obviously, like you said, teams will go back to what they've seen on film. And so if I'm Philly, I'm like, well, let's see if we can get, um, Sanders in a one-on-one matchup with Holcomb or Jamin and see if they can kind of hold down the fort and just test those rules and see what the pressure is on the pipes. And the crazy thing is they are good enough on the outside. They might even have to do that. Like AJ Brown has looked fantastic, you know, fantastic yeah, over the first two weeks. Incredible. You know, Smith has looked very, very good running that kind of choice option route from the slot, like just winning and finding space there. So um, they might not even have to do that. Like, I don't know if we have anybody that can match up with A.J. Brown, and I don't know if we have anybody in the slot we feel comfortable on uh, Devontae Smith. So, like, Benjamin St. Juice has done an excellent job, and I, I'm hungry to see that matchup, but that's not an easy matchup, and I expect Devontae to win some of that. You know, and then, you like, we mentioned Quay Watkins and, like, that big play potential. Like, they have pieces there that make you very nervous. And, um, and again, they haven't had to go to kind of more nuanced game plan stuff because they've just been so good on the outside. And I think that's something, if you're a fan of football, like I'm watching with much anticipation. Yeah, they're good players who are well-coached, which is how you win football games, which is why they're 2-0. and And uh, a lot of people, including you, have picked them to win the division. Uh, thanks again to Elliot Shore Parks for joining us earlier in the show from Go Birds. Uh, again, we're almost at 32 out of 32 uh, in our Odyssey NFL Network. So we will certainly continue as the season goes, checking in with the host of our arrival podcasts. Uh, so looking forward to doing that. Make sure uh, you're subscribed to ours. Uh, they got they got a bunch of subscribers up there in Philly uh, to, to their pod. In fact, same thing next week. Uh, the the uh, Dallas podcast, uh, it's got a lot of subscribers, just people automatic download. It's just like, boop, in their, in their, 
their inbox every week. So uh, <laughs> why, don't, why don't we do that here in Washington? Why don't, why don't we do that? Uh, that'd be here, a great take idea. Them in. That'd, be, that'd be fantastic. So go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Make sure you get that download. And uh, it's there for you. Even, you know, you're underground on the metro. And you're like, ah, the internet. It's already there. You don't got to worry about it. It's fantastic. All right. Uh, that's it. That's all. I'm done begging now. Uh, we'll see you all on the radio on Sunday for Countdown to Kickoff. And then Sunday night, uh, or first thing Monday morning, here for the Reaction Pod. Uh, so we'll see you then. And now I'm going to stop talking. Okay.